Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction uh, 687. Science Faction, Obscure Psychedelics, and Why We Procrastinate. This is going to be a fun one. Obscure psychedelics. Is it going to be like one of those like Florida drugs? Like, uh, like, like it's going to be like the new bath salts. Are we going to be on the cutting edge of drug technology again? I just feel like every once in a while, there should be more discoveries in Florida just because of how many things get tried. They're like, hey, did you know that gator urine makes you strong? And it's like, I wouldn't have known that, but somebody figured it out in Tallahassee. Well, I mean, <laughs> it was a trial and error. Uh, to be fair, though, it, maybe it does, but I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they don't have written language over there. So how is the message getting out? How how, how would we find out? Is there records? Is there a scientist there taking data in in, in the in the Everglades? All we get is what is leaked out to us from the background of cops episodes. Like you see a guy with a wife beater doing something in the background <laughs> as somebody else is getting arrested for DUI. That's how you figure it out. <laughs> And if you want to discover something in Florida, you can go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search for Robert Timothy on Patreon. You have four extra science news articles every single week. And that is, of course, because I am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. And with me, as always, is my comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? I am doing great. And I also love that, like, just, like, you, you treat somebody becoming a Patreon, like, in the wild, like, stumbling upon it, like, you've discovered a secret, like, you, like you've like you just discovered uh, gold in your backyard. Like, if, I know you've tried, our Patreons, if they've tried, you know, searching science faction or any of the other keywords one might use when searching for a Patreon. I put a link in our description when I put it up on, on the free feed. I put a link so it's easy to find. They go, oh, I like this thing. I'll just click on this link. I'm just saying, you make it like national treasure. You're, you're Nicolas Cage, and I'm the young, sassy Nicolas Cage sidekick. <laughs> I make it like national treasure? You mean Oscar-worthy? <laughs> you know, it is crazy. Nicolas Cage is is entering the prestige part of his career right now. <laughs> like, like, In like, that he's killing his twin. <laughs> 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 I like the idea that if you're like crazy, crazy actor, you like you're the you're the guy who like goes broke buying T-Rex skeletons and shit. Yeah. Uh, and then like like once you hit rock bottom, then you can rebuild to become the true artist that he is. I would imagine for as much as like his movies are kicking ass right now, I would hate to hang out with him. It'd just be such a weird draining experience. Absolutely. I mean, that guy couldn't have been right. I mean, he started off like he's like the nephew of F Francis Ford Coppola. So he like already started off ho Hollywood royalty. And and like, granted, he did the like, I, I do respect the fact that he did the thing where he changed his name because he was actually Nick. His, his given name is like Nicholas Coppola. And he's like, well, everybody's going to, you know, hand me everything if I come into Hollywood this way. So I'm going to change my name, which I respect. And then I respect very little about everything else he's done. <laughs> Like raising Arizona, great. He Bobby, he took a face off. What have what, what have That's you right. done for medical science? <laughs> Played just the most ridiculously overvirtued protagonist in Con Air, like the guy. Like, how do we get a guy in prison? Well, I don't know. Maybe he made a mistake and drove drunk one day. No, 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 no. That's too relatable. I got it. He's an army ranger. He gets jumped by a bunch of dudes. In defending himself, he goes to jail because that's what fucking happens. 
By the way, I want to clear up some shit about the Army Rangers real fast. Like, like if we're breaking up all the special forces and anything, like the Army Rangers is like the most grunt, like of all, like you know, Navy SEALs sure. will be like capturing Bin Laden. Army Rangers like are just like uh, creating like a, uh, they're just sealing off streets in a mile radius all around, <laughs> you know, Kabul. Sure. Um, and 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 unlike all the other like forces, where like you know, like th- like they really break you down but build you back up. The Rangers, their claim to fame is just like, yeah, we're not gonna let you sleep and we're not gonna let you eat, but you're gonna have to complete a marathon and and it's just like it's just like stuff that takes years off of your life and you could just say you did it like yeah that's right i survived a concentration camp like it's like getting kicked in the dick but not trained afterwards and you could beat up a bunch of dudes outside of a honky tonk and kill one of them apparently in combat it's just uh, that kind of shit happens but to be fair, like your average guy can't even throw a punch. So like, I, yes. like, like you would be a Golden Gloves champion at 13 years old and do the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, dear, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is science articles. Article number one. Obscure psychedelic for PTSD and TBI. Is this obscure like in the same way that like weed is a psychedelic, quote unquote? No, or... no, this is a very serious psychedelic. Oh, we're getting back into Florida range. Love it. <laughs> so this is an interesting story. It's published in Nature. It's about a small study, and I do want to emphasize this is a small study. I also want to emphasize, you'll notice I, I front load a lot of the dangers on this particular substance up front because I don't want somebody listening to 30 seconds of this and being like, oh, I wonder if I can get that online, and then trying it without realizing the implications. But this is a small study using a substance we've talked about on this show before, the African root ibogaine, to treat TBI and its effects, including things like PTSD. Now, you might know ibogaine. Like I said, we've talked about it from previous stories we've covered about addiction treatment, which it's actually oddly successful for, or from successful attempts to best a Sicilian in a game of chance. (laughs) That is why it sounded familiar. Okay. Yes, yes. I will say, though, in The Princess Bride, they say ibogaine powder. Nobody's tripping balls at the end of that one, and they absolutely would be. And by the way, not only would they be tripping balls, they'd be tripping balls and possibly in cardiac distress. Because it turns out that ibogaine, which comes from, again, an African plant called... Tabernathe iboga, it's first of all, not harmless. So this is not like psilocybin. This is not like LSD. This is not something like that. This is this can cause fatal heart problems in activation doses. So in the dose that normal people would take, and certainly in high doses it can. It can also have bad interactions with certain psychiatric medications and even bad interactions with things like grapefruit juice. So this is something that you don't just try willy-nilly. Uh, this is illegal in the U.S., though it is actually not only not illegal, but there are ibogaine treatment clinics in both Mexico and Brazil, where a lot of people will go to have these type of treatments that are administered in a hospital type setting with medical professionals, with psychiatric professionals. And they're actually very, very successful. We have talked about it a lot on this uh, show. If there's any deaths at one of those facilities, because like one of the uh, nurses who works at this clinic, like walked in with a great flavored squirt soda and uh, (laughs) just a horrible reaction. You turn into an Akira monster. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't be eating that grapefruit. You can't be doing the squirt. Uh, not when you're on the ibogaine. And and we've talked about it on this show a bunch in terms of addiction treatment. It's actually like shockingly effective at opiate 
uh, treatment and as well as cocaine and stuff too, but opiates specifically. And what's really interesting is not only does it seem to give some kind of lasting treatment introspection that keeps people from necessarily going back to it, and maybe it, it helps them see why they are being dependent on that drug in the first place, what kind of uh, things happen to them in their life that led them to those places and to then get over those things. Not only is that there, which is great, and we see that with LSD and other things, there's actually a a difference in the physical withdrawal symptoms that people experience when they're getting off opiates under the influence of ibogaine. And it lasts for some time too. So people not only will have that moment of like that, oh shit moment that some people can have with other uh, hallucinogens like, like, like LSD where they go, oh man, I'm really ruining my life and I need to stop this. This, this morphine stuff is fucking killing me. But the, it also literally makes it less painful to go through those withdrawals. It dramatically lessens the the opiate withdrawal. So it's a really, really, really promising drug in terms Question. of, yeah. Does it lessen those symptoms in the same way that like ayahuasca, like ayahuasca, you, I, I've been told you can treat a lot of the same things, but I always had a theory, like if you're ever feeling so bad that you're like, you're vomiting and you're shitting and you can't even care for yourself, somebody has to sit there and like, yeah. Yeah, heroin withdrawals. Might, if you're that ill, heroin withdrawals right. might be nothing compared to like, yeah, I, I was shit myself feeling bad. I don't think it's nearly as much of an intense experience as that that type of ayahuasca thing, though there are about that you are having like actual hallucinations. You're having visions. You're having all this crazy shit you're going on the first part about. of it. I know it's not the same part of the world. Except I don't think you can walk really but yeah exactly <laughs> you're you're having a very intense experience and people report you know so this this became popular in the early 1960s when somebody who who was a heroin addict actually went through an ibogaine experience and basically get, got off heroin along with a bunch of his buddies and it then became known throughout these communities and these ibogaine treatment kind of deals started popping up so again still around in places like mexico and brazil that you can go to the problem again is you can really get some serious heart conditions it, i saw a study where you know the end number wasn't even that big i think it was like 10 people and one of the members of the study fucking died from a high dose of ibogaine so it's like it's not one of those things you can fuck around with it can do serious damage to your heart. It can kill you. But in the right circumstances, with the right medical professionals administering it and with the right you know, medical treatment on the side, it seems to be a very powerful tool. And in this case, instead of for addiction treatment, there was a lot of people in the veteran communities who had been hearing that it was really good for PTSD. And so while it wouldn't be ethical for these researchers to be like, well, go get some illegal street drugs... There was this group, and again, super small end number, 30. It's not a random control group. These are 30 male veterans. So they're a self-selecting group. They're looking for treatment. They're trying to fix themselves. That's a very, very different group than a random controlled test. So don't imagine that these you know, numbers make it magic or anything. But these 30 male veterans were already going to go to Mexico. They were for U.S. veterans. They were already going to go to Mexico. To They were Arizona Minutemen. They were actually just watching the border uh, for, for pretty racist reasons. But this treatment changed all that to be fair they might have had a way more ptsd than anybody who saw combat because if you were super racist what could be more traumatizing than seeing a shitload of mexicans who are surrounded <laughs> you're in your own zombie <laughs> Just, land basically yeah. like in ibogaine <laughs> this is hell for you you know like <laughs> You know that uh, that Twilight Zone where the the pretty woman wakes up and like everybody's got the pig faces? Like it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. 
I also like the idea that, like, you know, like, veterans have to go to Mexico to learn empathy. Because, like, that's true. For a variety of reasons, but, like, uh, for the most part, the trends I've seen from the veterans who have really dealt with their PTSD, uh, at some point they had to grow and be the type of person who has empathy uh, and has kind of dropped a lot of the macho bullshit. And the guys who kind of stick in the macho bullshit have a much tougher time uh, getting sure. over those that stuff. And so, yeah, you go, I went to Mexico to learn empathy. I came back less racist. Well, we're not going to go that far, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think, less PTSD. But uh, these were gentlemen who had gone through some kind of TBI, traumatic brain injury, and also had suffered from PTSD. And they decided to go to one of these ibogaine clinics and get treatment. Uh, and they did. And by the way, in this study, in order to try and compensate for some of those heart things, they actually used magnesium in a medical setting to stabilize heart issues and very, very close monitoring to make sure anybody who was having heart issues, they were already in a hospital, but then they could, you know, obviously be treated very quickly. So here's a quote. One month after treatment, participants on average had reductions of 88% in PTSD symptoms, 87% in depression symptoms, and 81% in anxiety symptoms. On average, participants had mild to moderate disability before treatment and no disability one month after treatment, as assessed by a survey about cognition, mobility, and other functions. End quote. Again, I want to emphasize this is not a randomly controlled study, so we can't extrapolate these numbers to the general population. Not only are these a select group of, you know, they're veterans, they're people who've had certain things happen to them, they're all dudes, but think about the people who are actually going to travel to Mexico to go out and try something brand new to try and help their themselves heal. These are people who are seeking healing. A lot of times people who are in depressive PTSD states, they don't want to seek healing in then some of that will translate to less effectiveness. So I don't, I want to make sure this is not seen as some kind of blanket cure, but those numbers are fucking crazy. Like, even though this is a select sample, all that stuff, you're talking about some of the most treatment resistant depression. You're talking about PTSD symptoms that on average, you know, heavy, heavy counseling and treatment and therapy and some of our best drugs might have 30 to 40% efficacy over years. And you're saying 88% effectiveness in like a month's time span. And then large uh, depressive symptoms that come along with that with an 87% reduction in those 81% reduction in anxiety, which for those with TBIs and, and PTSD is huge. A lot of those guys, you can load fuck until they almost pass out with Xanax and it's not going to decrease their anxiety because they're still waiting for the next bomb to go off. These numbers are absolutely fucking ridiculous. So again, tiny end number, select population can't be extrapolated to the general population, but holy shit, if it's half of this, it's amazing. That's insane because TBIs, that's that's one of my big fears. You know, like like you mm-hmm. get a head injury one day and now you just come out a different person. And um, sure. and, and for our fans, you know, this goes way back to uh, to Phineas Gage, um, sure. who, by the way, uh, got into the medical records books by changing his name. He originally was Phineas Ford Coppola, but uh, <laughs> he actually changed his name. And I respect that. I respect a man who's willing to, to do the work to get into the medical records. <laughs> That's how they actually used to measure the <laughs> diameter of a shotgun barrel. <laughs> this is a 12 Ford Coppola. <laughs> Phineas changed all that. 
now the reason for this is, is probably <laughs> multifactorial. There's really interesting stuff going on here clinically when we look at you know fMRI studies with this type of stuff. We think this might have to do with something we've also discussed on this show in relation to other psychedelics, which is reopening that critical window we have in our youth in which our brain is much more malleable. We have more neuroplasticity. We can make more neural connections. And if you have a TBI... And your brain has been damaged in such a way that literally the the signals cannot get from one place to another the way they used to, and which can because of certain very complicated mix of of signal interactions could cause things like depression. If all of a sudden you could your brain can you know build new roads, make new highways, then now the cars are getting through, and that depression can go away. So there is a really feasible mechanism of action here. And by the way, in previous studies that have compared other psychedelics. To ibogaine, these psychedelics that also seem to do a similar window opening type thing, including psilocybin, including LSD, ibogaine actually does it the best. It seems to open that critical window the most, and there might be something very uniquely powerful about this particular substance. So the results are like super, super promising, but assuming that they are replicable in a bigger sample size and it's in randomly controlled groups and stuff, what might this actually mean? Like, what might be going on in these experiences? In order to understand that, you have to understand how ibogaine works. So a lot of this, this is like the, the broad strokes. This is like the, the Wikipedia level stuff. So, so keep that in mind. We're not going into the, the biochemical reactions and stuff. But basically, ibogaine tends to work by hitting people in two separate phases, which is somewhat different than the more classic hallucinogens like LSD and psilocybin, which tend to often have uniform experiences throughout, just different intensities. Ibogaine has been described as coming in two different phases. The first is like a visionary phase with waking dream state. So you are wide awake, eyes open, and you're seeing the fucking cartoon characters run around in front of you. You're visited by three ghosts. This is the... This is yes. the you're visited by three ghosts, ghost period. Okay. I'm the ghost of tripping past. <laughs> exactly. And then when you go into the past, that's the other phase, right? That's <laughs> gotcha. When you That lasts four to six hours. And then the second phase is the introspection phase, which is, you know, often credited with a lot of the, the therapeutic effects. Oftentimes the more classic hallucinogens have these kind of mixed together where people are exp experiencing both of those at once. And one of the thoughts is the process of this going from one to another, the journey you are on in that ibogaine experience is a little different than those classic hallucinogens and might help you deal with things a little bit better. It might be why along with its ability to to keep back the symptoms of withdrawal from opiates. It might be why it's so impactful for, for stopping certain addictions as well. But that type of two-phase thing seems to be pretty widely described with ibogaine experiences. And a lot of people describe, like, you know, like it's, a, it's almost scary to fun in the first part. And they have, you know, really neat visions and stuff. And then the second part leads them down a very introspective route. And the fact that they go through that whole thing makes them feel like they came out of something at the end. And maybe that is what's going on with these people with PTSD, with these people with addiction. Maybe that is why it's such a strong therapeutic drug. Now, it's still illegal in most countries, including in the United States. But again, you can walk, you know, 10 miles from where Damien and I are sitting right now and go to a place where it is legal, like Mexico, in, in, now only in clinics and stuff. It's not like illegal over the counter or something. But it has been used 
by addiction treatment people since the 1960s when it was first kind of discovered to be very effective for that, including there was one chemist who like made a huge batch of it and then just went rogue and started treating people in like Copenhagen and stuff, trying to start treating heroin addicts and had really good results. But again, you got to watch out because if you're not under medical treatment, it can be literally deadly. So very, very interesting stuff. I always love stuff like this because I really do think where we are in terms of therapy, we are cracking a door. Like, first of all, we are just getting to the point where it's not a stigmatized practice, where it's normal for somebody to say like, oh, I'm going to my therapist and it's not a weird thing, right? And we're just getting there. When society gets a little bit further on, we're going to get better at telling what's effective, what's super effective, what's effective for this one little narrow group of people and how we can get the best effective treatments and therapies and medicines to people who need it. Because frankly, look, this is something I always kind of want to yell at those who these drugs be illegal is like, would you rather have somebody who's a heroin addict for the next 10 years and then dies in the streets or has an experience like this and is able to wean themselves off and become a productive member of society? Like how, how staunch is your weird anti-drug policy? Like if one thing fixes another, does that not make it okay with you? And, you know, maybe when we get past this dark ages of, of drug prohibition in this country and see the, the benefits of certain processes and chemicals and stuff, we might come to a point where things like this are regularly used in therapy. You just go to the local therapist's office, it's not some weird treatment center, and they have a fucking LSD pill or an ibogaine pill or a MDMA pill or something that can help you accelerate what would be years of talk therapy to get over the weird macho bullshit you have in your life into fucking 95 minutes, which we've seen with some of the MDMA results, you know, like that will be in our future. And every time we discover something new like this, we have to be careful. We have to be very wary of the, the dangers, the very real dangers, medical dangers of it. But we also have to see this as like, wow, there's a lot of suffering out there that things like this could just fix. Yeah, that's great. I would love it if uh, the world was a lot less uptight and we could use drugs uh, not just rec recreationally, but medically. Not like medical marijuana, but like legit medically. I think the bigger story here is, Bobby, like if I'm Dr. House and I'm looking at all the evidence that's been brought forward here, um, uh -huh. we okay, we know ibogaine is, can damage the heart. We yes. also know that in Florin, uh, which I believe takes place in an undisclosed time somewhere in Europe in The Princess Bride, um, uh. that ibogaine is a 100% lethal poison. Therefore, we can deduce that cardiovascular health in Florin was terrible. And that probably has led to why no records from the society exist. Furthermore, Wesley became immune to ibogaine because he left and just got worked on his cardio and just was able to survive. Or he just spent the last, I mean, now it really puts it in perspective that he spent the last like five years, he wasn't actually hunting for buttercup. He was just tripping <laughs> balls and having the time of his life. He grew a lot. Like a lot, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he definitely like dealt with some demons from his childhood. A lot more in the fucking townies. Yeah, but also he saw some awesome colors and listened to a lot of Allman Brothers and like just had a really good time. Dude, being the Dread Pirate Roberts fucking rocks. <laughs> On to article number two. Why do we procrastinate? Because Miss Johnson, nobody could give me homework, Miss Johnson. I tell me what to do. By the way, you just you just actually demonstrated one of the prominent reasons for procrastination, which is defiance of authority. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> listen, I, you don't. I know the lesson. I you don't tell me to do homework. Okay, <laughs> I'll do I'll do whatever you want while I'm in class. 
Now, this isn't like a new discovery or anything. This was actually a, an interesting article that's on Live Science right now. I suggest you go check it out. If you've ever had an issue with procrastination, I definitely do. It is a big deal in my life. Uh, so I always am interested in how these things go and what the, the neuro and psychological reasoning for this type of stuff is. And this is kind of, I think they linked it to the idea of New Year's and that's why it's coming out now. And it's like, you know, why do people put off things that they know they want to do and they make these resolutions, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it'd be an interesting dive into what procrastination is and why we do it. So uh, again, go check this out at Live Science. Pretty interesting, I, at least for me personally. So Damien, other than what you just described, why do you think people procrastinate? Uh, personally, I do it anxiety. I get anxiety. Sure, yes, I, that's I, a big one. I also have uh, ADHD and I've always had, even from a kid and like uh, focusing on one task for longer than like three seconds is, is difficult. Sure. That's one too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I personally, like I said, I do it a lot. It, it impairs my life. It is a bad thing that I do. And I know about that. And I feel way better about myself when I don't do it. And so that always is one of those things where I have to have like a, you know, like a come to science moment, so to speak, where I'm like, Hey, what's going on here? What's, what's going on with me that I keep doing this thing I know is like the wrong move. Like, why do I do it? What, what can I do to stop doing it? So this particular article lists a few things, talks about people procrastinate for reasons like avoidance or emotional regulation, if they're, they have a difficult time uh, with negative emotions. MRI studies have shown people with less developed areas of self-control in the brain tend to procrastinate more. doesn't mean that everybody who procrastinates has that, by the way. Higher developed sense of danger, threat detection, and a bigger amygdala or impulsivity, all of which kind of correlate with Tend, uh, a tendency to procrastinate more. Also, it can sometimes be hard to deal with hard things when your coping mechanisms are already maxed out. So if you're dealing with a bunch of fucking shit going on in your life, just dealing with that one more thing can kind of just push you over the edge and you just procrastinate, just push it into the indefinite future. So I thought that was interesting. I went and looked at some other previous studies on procrastination just to see what they said. They could be anything from uh, not wanting to feel bored, like the the unpleasantness of like, oh, this is going to be boring, to not believing in yourself and thinking that you're not going to succeed. And so why try to having fear or anxiety, like you said, about the thing that you are supposed to be doing. Sometimes it's a deal of perfectionism. People don't want to put out a B product because they feel that they're an A person. So they put out no product. So they feel like that's better than the B product. Sometimes it, it's just simple distraction. People, like you said, especially if you suffer from ADD, ADHD, can easily get distracted and then not complete the tasks that they know they're supposed to be, be completing, even though they know they're supposed to be completing it. I'm actually, uh, there's another reason, and I don't know how popular it is, but for me personally, I'm in an it follows situation. So if I ever mm. I start doing something, I'm giving it time to catch up to me. Sure. And so uh, I always kind of like, do you realize like I, I drive to Arizona, I do like a, a three state tour before mm -hmm. I come back here just to make sure that, that it, it's somewhere in the Mojave right now. So I could sit yeah. down and record this episode. Yeah. And uh, they never explained, does it, the it follows, it goes after you. Does it go after you? It, it just walks indefinitely. What if you crossed an ocean? Does it walk under the water? Yeah. Do STDs cross water? <laughs> Yeah, what if you went to Japan? Yeah, I, it'd be creepier if it was like that un, that slow underwater walk. But I mean, yeah, but in Japan, like at 20 years from now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on. 
And like currents? Do currents affect it? I mean, I don't know. Oh, I don't have to figure this out. Like, what if you, what if you, like, hung out in the Grand Canyon? Like, would it try and get you and fall down in there, and then you can scramble out? And it's stuck. I also like the like like it didn't move fa- like does it does it does it know smart GPS routing routing or is it following your exact trail? Like, yeah, because uh, I mean, like that that's good escape. I think a scientist needs to get it, and we need to do a lot of controlled experiments uh, uh, documenting this this scientist nightmare. I'm going to start banging random people hoping that one of them is the It Follows. <laughs> Listen, honey. <laughs> you have to explain this to I, I'm, I'm tired of explaining this to your wife for you. She won't let you in the house. Can, can Bobby just get his stuff? For those of you like Damien's sister who are yelling at us because we're re- referencing something people might not get, It Follows is a movie where if you have sex with somebody who has previously had sex with somebody down the line to something, this creature just kind of indefinitely comes after you until you have sex with somebody else and pass it on, and then that creature continues to follow them and try and kill them. Odd thing, I've never seen It Follows. I just, I have seen Thinner, the movie that she, oh. <laughs> that she doesn't... <laughs> But I've I made con I've used context clues to figure out what it follows is about. Uh, oftentimes, people will procrastinate by prioritizing their short-term mood over long-term gains. They might have task aversiveness that thinking something is bad for some reason, boring, frustrating, something they don't want to deal with it. They might have anxiety or fear, get overwhelmed. They might also, as you said, do it for things like. To show that you can't be controlled, to have underlying rebellion against authority or, or something like that. Uh, Mrs. Johnson needs to learn that I rule this school. And it's, it's not just this. It's, it's a collection of actions that I've done. But this is part of it. Yeah. So the question becomes, what can you do to overcome it? Now, I have found one of the reasons I am such a busy person is because I'm such a bad procrastinator. And I have found that the best way to, to for me personally to deal with procrastination is to have 10 things to do. And then to just, when I'm procrastinating with one, do a different one. Like half the stuff I achieve, I get done while I'm supposed to be doing something else. Bobby calling himself a procrastinator, it, it, he's the most accomplished and, and always busy guy I've ever met in my life. So he's always that's packing his schedule. And, and for you to say that, that's like that's like literally like uh, like Jennifer Lopez. Like, oh, I'm so fat. Well, looking in the mirror. Oh, nobody would want to bang me. It's just the only way I could do things, because if you give me one thing to do and a week to do it, it won't get done. But if you give me 10 things to do and that same week to do it, I will do them as I'm procrastinating one. I will just force myself to do the other things that I, I am less dreading. I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I don't think under the best light, the most generous light to you, you are Thor thinking you're fat Thor. <laughs> Well, thank you, but uh, trust me, I procrastinate a lot, and it really does negatively impact my life. It's just one of those things. Like I try and I'm trying to fix my own issues with that, and you know that technique that I have used for a long time doesn't always work. It also keeps me stressed out quite a bit. It also means I'm constantly busy. I never have a second of free time. But you know, here are some standard procrastination solutions that tend to work. One is set specific and realistic goals. One is to figure out why you're procrastinating. Which of those things we talked about is the reason that affects you and makes you want to procrastinate. One is to create an actual plan, like write it down. That works really well for me. Write down a list. I need to do this, this, and this to get this thing done and then actually do it. And 
I will tell you the biggest one that I have found that really, really helps for me is to just take the first step. Like it doesn't matter if it's a 30 second step in the right direction. You take that 30 second step and you go, oh, that actually wasn't that bad. Like say, I'm going to just do this 30 second first part of it. And then I'm going to go fucking treat myself to something. And it turns out to be so much easier for me personally, for my type of procrastination that works. They also remind you to give yourself permission to make mistakes and don't punish yourself super hard for procrastinating because that tends to make it worse the next time around to set deadlines and to make yourself accountable to them and to figure out how you will handle it when like things get in your way when you encounter obstacles. So all of that tends to help out. But the most important thing is to be accountable. And not to write it off, too, because a lot of times that thing where you're not punishing yourself can also lead to you saying something like, oh, well, everybody procrastinates, so this is fine. Just understand it's a problem, figure out what's wrong with it, and like go for it head on. And if you just have to take a 30-second step in the right direction, do that. It will help. Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 687, where you learned all about how an obscure psychedelic might cure PTSD and TBI in veterans. And why we procrastinate, and how we can stop. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 688. Yeah, I was going to turn in uh, a joke at the end of the episode, but then I realized nobody tells me what to do, and so I thought I'd just fart into the microphone, if that's okay. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs>